Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking from RWK Goodman. I'm Liam Pape. And I'm Ed Wilson. In today's episode, we speak to professional jockey George Baker, who experienced severe brain injury during a race. He spoke about his experience with injury, how lucky he feels compared to others, and how actually accepting that his life had now changed, aided in recovery, as getting over that mental hurdle and coming to the acknowledgement that things wouldn't quite be the same again, actually really helped in the long run. We also speak to Richard Brooks, who is a partner at RWK Goodman and who specialises in personal injury and animal accidents. He explains whether George's reaction is typical for people with injuries of his type and more about the subject at large. Yep, let's roll tape. Okay, so yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast, um, George and Richard. Um, George, I guess we'll first go to you. Um, are you able to give us just like a quick summary of the injury you you, you had and, and how, how it happened? Yeah, no problem. I had a fall. Um, I was a professional jockey and I went to Samaritz to ride in... Um, at the, on, 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 the, on the white turf over there which is a they have three meetings a year over there it's like a massive spectacle in Samaritz and um, a trainer who I rode for Jamie Osborne had um, a team of horses going over and they asked me if I wanted to go so I headed over there for that for that um, Sunday Sunday fixture and um, I had a it was the first race of the day and um, there was a weakness in the track and my horse put his foot through the surface and um, fired me into the ground. Um, subsequently, um, broke both his front legs doing that. And um, I had a, a shearing brain injury um, from the impact where I sort of, I don't know, arrow-like into the ground as such. So it was a, a pretty severe head injury. Hmm. And uh, I wasn't well for, for a long period of time. And so, and how, and I mean, you're saying you're going racing in San Maria. So obviously your career was pretty, going pretty well up to that point. Like you were a pretty um, successful jockey. Yeah, I'd been, um, I'd been riding for, um, I was 34 years of age when it happened. I've been riding since I was 16. Hmm. And I, I, I was what you call sort of a slow burner. It took me a while to sort of find my feet and get going. Um, I had a good apprenticeship and I grew quite a lot um, when I was coming up to lose my claim and then I sort of had to rebuild and um, I don't know what the word is, but I sort of changed my riding style as such for, for a different body shape and that took a while to mm-hmm. find a comfortable rhythm with that. And um, yeah, I was, so, so, so in 2016, which was the last full season I had, was my, my best of the year and um, I was building a, 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 a good good sort of career as such as a flat jockey yeah so once you'd had the the head injury and you kind of realized something kind of more well i guess even before maybe you realized that the full effect of it what were you experiencing post injury when you maybe tried to get back into um horse racing horse racing so um as as it transpired i was in samaritz for a period of time and then i got transported back to london to the to the wellington hospital Mm-hmm. by medical jet because I wasn't um, able to sort of um, go through airport security and so forth. So I'm brought back that way. And I was in a thing called post-traumatic amnesia for five weeks, right. which is where you're ultimately, I could talk, um, but my brain was in a sort of safety mode. It was protecting me from the accident I'd had. And um, I could talk, but I would make very little sense. And 
I'd repeat myself a lot of the time and for my, for my family it was a very strange um, strange um, time because it was George was there but it was making zero sense and talking a lot of gobbledygook and such doing some very strange things in hospital so, so in a sense it was, it was more emotional for them I don't remember any of that. So that that's why you're you're you sort of go into that safety mode as such and your brain's protecting you from um outside stuff. It, it's it's and but for my family they saw it all, so it was um not very nice. Yeah. And and what were the challenges when you made because did you did you try and get back into working in with with horse racing or racing at all afterwards? And what what kind of challenges did you experience doing that? Ultimately, with it, I had one aim, and that was to come back race riding. And mm. um, I was never told. And to be fair, I wouldn't have believed it at the time. I wasn't thinking like a rational person um, that I was able to come back and do my, my old career as being a jockey. And but that 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 sort of aided my recovery because I had an end goal and I pushed. So um, from the accident. Um, and where the Pacific bleed was on the part of my brain, it was sort of my coordination balance. So I had to learn to walk again. And um, we don't use all our brain, the whole of our brain. So you can, if something happens to one part, you can rejig that and train another part to, to pick up that process. And that's what I had to do. So yeah. um, hence the reason why I still walk a bit like a Thunderbird. I'm not as um, sort of... Um, able as I once was but I've through the whole process I got the I, I can't tell you I got the best possible cake money can buy and that helped me so much one to accept what I couldn't couldn't do and and in the grand scheme of things um, it wasn't that bad because I was able to learn to walk again I mean it's frustrating when you're going through that process and 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 as such a 34 year old baby learners do things again but um, right. you know it was it, a spinal injury person would pay everything they had to be able to do that wouldn't they so um, in the grand scheme of things it wasn't that bad but it was it was it was frustrating for me at times because I remember what, I can remember what I was doing before and how I used to be um, and my one aim was when I sort of realised what had happened that sort of month and a half period after once I'd gone through all that strange thing with PTA that I wanted to come back and, and, and be a jockey as such. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the the physical uh, difficulties you had, but were there any kind of um, like mental or like hidden disabilities that you found that people just didn't like, maybe didn't get, like you said, said when you're in the hospital, your, your family saw that you weren't making much sense. But once you're out of hospital, obviously if your brain is affected, there's various different um, uh, kind of processes that the, the brain has control of, obviously. Um, so were there, were there any things that maybe, I don't know, memory or anything like that that you found you were having trouble with that maybe people didn't understand when you, when well, you were trying to get back into racing? It's very interesting. So, um, well, it is interesting now when you look back at it at the time, it was very strange for, for my mm. wife, um, Nicola, and my sort of extended family that um, I I would, I had short-term memory was horrific and um, I was given processes to, to improve that and writing a diary was one of those things. She spoke to Alice Fox Pitt, whose husband had been through a similar sort of process 
Um, and I, I wrote a diary. And when I say wrote a diary, I just put down who I'd spoken to on the day. I wasn't, mm. they, you know, I was allowed to have a mobile phone for short periods of time. I'd get very fatigue. Fatigue was my biggest thing. I get, I was sleeping for sort of 13, 14 hours a day um, because I was recovering. And once I managed, um, sort of accepted that was the case and not didn't try and fight it, then the process of um, writing that diary about who I dealt with through the day and bits and bobs, stuff like that was important. And so it was all about, for me, was accepting the deficits that I had. And um, as frustrating as it was, you can't move forward until you know what your weaknesses are. As such, if you think a lot of people that have brain injuries don't think there's anything wrong with them. And I was very lucky that I accepted what my weaknesses were, aimed to improve on them and, and manage my, and manage my time accordingly. So it was, a I, I don't know, all brain injuries are different. So I'd see people in, in, in the ward I was on in the Wellington hospital that have been through similar sort of things, but they, they, their long-term memory was affected. So they didn't know who their family was. It, it was a, okay. it's a, it's, I suppose if you could play a brain injury card to have to learn to walk again, isn't that big a deal compared to some of the people that I saw when I was in hospital. Well, it's admirable you say, say that. I'm pretty sure it's, yeah. Um, but I guess take bringing Richard in on this, in terms of your perspective, both as someone who's worked with brain injured clients and also people who have maybe received other serious injuries and are or were jockeys, how um, kind of, uh, how, how, where is George's experience on, on, on your scale of, your scale of um, things, stories you've seen, is it pretty typical that, you know, people want to get back into horse racing, find it really difficult or, you know, um, or with brain injury, how typical is his experience, would you say? Well, yes, I mean, I mean, every case is different as George says, and but it, there's one theme running through everybody in racing that um, they want to get back into it. And uh, if, if they're on the sidelines for a day or a month, they're just desperate to get back. And it's often a, a real shock to the system that they have this the, uh, an unplanned retirement, if you can put it like that. And often people find it very difficult readjusting to, well, or adjusting to life outside their day job. Hmm. Uh, and I'm sure George will testify to that. And it, and and when we're, you know, finding out ab about clients, it's often the family we speak to to get that additional insight into um, you know, how people are. Um, and I don't know, George, if what Nicola would say about you now, but you know, um, how you are compared to uh, pre-accident. Um, I think she'd probably say that I. I'm slightly short-tempered um, in regards to I get frustrated with things, but that's a normal thing. You know, you, there's that anyone that's been through this process um, can get frustrated at times with things. But um, I think I've been very, very lucky. One, that I was fit and young, healthy, um, having the fall. And it was, which is, you, you know, when you're trying to, Get, build yourself back up is, 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 a, is, a, is a good position to be in and and I can't tell you that so I, for example when I was in the Wellington I'd have sort of three or I'd have four or five therapies a day 
um, PT, physio, um, and the psychological help I got there was probably more important than anything to accept what my weaknesses were and that I was a different person. Obviously, I wanted to get better and I aimed to come back to the, be doing what I was before. But um, through that process, I, I got a very catered and I was a you know professional patient as such. Um, ultimately, one goal to try and come back, was that achievable? No, but it was a good good for my mind to have a a goal that to come back and I suppose anyone that has an accident in sport always wants to come back and do what they were doing before and whether that was achievable as I, as I found out subsequently it wasn't but I, I just I can't tell you how important it is to get that early doors care um, top level stuff and um, I was just in uh, that the hospital I was in um, overseen by um sort of the top person in the country, um, Dr. Richard Greenwood, who sort of catered my therapies and stuff. I just got the best care you can get. And I was very lucky to have um, good good healthcare as such. Yeah, and I, I guess that's something you see, Richard, as well, is building that team of specialists around people to ensure they get the right care early on. It's, it's like, it's, now, is that something you see across the board? Racing is incredibly lucky. The, the welfare setup in racing is is fantastic, and both jockeys and stable staff have some great insurance and great professionals employed to steer people through um, rehabilitation. Um, people outside racing, I often think, are, are less lucky. Mm. One thing, George, I was. Um, I've listened to you talking before, and I, I know you mentioned that the, the difficulty in adjusting to uh, the possibility of not riding again, and talking about Kevin Pierce, yes, the, the snowboard champion. Now, I I actually I looked at the trailer for that, and I, I couldn't quite bring myself to play it. It looked quite a gruesome watch. Um, and that's me, you know, completely detached from the incident. So I can only imagine how difficult this was for those close to you. Yeah, well, I tell you, it, was, it was interesting. So um, we've got a family friend called Nathan Horrocks who um, spoke to my wife a little bit when I wasn't very well and said, um, just, you know, when you think it's right, it'd be a good thing for George to watch because it was a similar sort of journey um, through was was I at Kevin Pierce's standard in racing? No, but um, to see him go from being in some, you know, world number one as such, mm. to try and come back to do what he did to high level, I, I I sat down and watched it one evening, and I I had no really, I didn't really know what was coming, and um, I it was it was the the realization moment when I knew I was coming back as a jockey, and um, I couldn't put. Potent, never be as um, able-bodied in the saddle as I w- was before the accident, and watching that um, that pro, the, you know, the, the film about Kevin Pierce sort of really hit home. Had I thought about it beforehand? Yes, of course you do. You know, you sort of question it, but when I watched that, in my mind, I just accepted it, and um, I'm am I emotional? I'm, I'm more emotional now. I've had the fall. I think I was very. Um, racing makes you quite tough on that front and I watched the I think it was an evening I watched it at home with Nicola and I was just crying because I knew that my time as a jockey was over and it's it's hard to 
um, Georgia jockey was done and um, the whole process with, with giving that up was not easy. I remember going to Oaks House to see Jerry Hill um, for, for my sort of meeting with him. I might, since the first time I'd seen him, I'd spoke to him a bit on the phone and... Um, He's a doctor at the British Horse Racing BHA, And he yeah. booked in to see me at Oaksy House. Um, I'd have a private meeting to see how things were going. And I was going over in the car of Nicola that afternoon. I think it was early afternoon. And I started crying in the car. I said, today I'm going to hear the news that um, George Jockey's over. And, you know, I still get emotional about it now. It's, it was a thing I loved doing. I was getting paid to do my hobby. And um, to hear that from him, I, I knew it was coming, but um, watching that, um, the crash reel really hit home that my time was done. And um, I suppose you have um, character building moments in life. And that was one of them. You know, it, it was, it was, it was a hard watch because I could see myself in that. It was like watching myself on screen. Obviously I can't snowball, but that the process and mm. What, mm. what I put my family through. Um, Cause I was, when I was a jockey, I was, I wasn't, I'm not saying I wasn't a horrible person, but I was selfish. All I cared about was myself and, um, achieving what I wanted to achieve in the industry. And you have to be like that, I think, in sport. And I took my family for granted and through the whole process of getting better, um, I, the realisation of how important it is to have a strong network around you in a time of need is is massive. And I'll give you a bit of a context on that. You know, when I, this is, I never put anything in place, you know, if something happened to me to look after my wife, i.e., um, power of attorney of joint bank accounts, all that sort of stuff. I just didn't think oh, it went out to me and you don't, I, th I suppose you don't allow yourself to think that that will happen. And I through that, what happened, I mean, not being in, able to get, I don't know, make sure the mortgage is being covered on a month on month basis is just, um, from my wife's perspective, it's, you know, terribly hard. It was, I was sort of the money earner at, at the time. And, um, um, and and it's it's I don't know it's it just you just got to be I think any advice I can give to anyone going forward is make sure you've got all your affairs in order hmm. for some, if something bad happens because you never know what's around the corner. Yeah, but it sounds to me from what Richard tells me as well is that obviously the the horse racing community is is exactly that it's a great community of people. How have you been supported to maybe do other things uh, with the with the sport that you love? So when I announced my retirement and um, my, some of my close friends knew it was coming and I sort of confided in them a little bit, um, I got offered bits and bobs and um, people are kind. But when it comes to going back to work, again, you've got to make yourself attractive and um, just being because you've been a nice person, you've done yourself in the right way. So I announced my retirement on um, Luke Harvey, who's I've known for a long time since I've been in racing. Um, I did it on his show and um, I think it's, it's called Get In and um, I, I, I just wanted to do it the, I don't know it's, I, did it matter no not to anyone else but to me it was important to let people know that I was packing up I don't know why I felt so um, passionate about it but um, and from, from that I got offered bits and bobs on TV which I'd never even contemplated doing and um, racing is very kind when you're trying to find your way and I've got offered plenty of bits and bobs of things to do mm. 
um, and Jets have helped. Um, I've done a qualification MVQ level to to go into jockey coaching. That's the Jockeys Enterprise and Training Scheme, I think. That's right. Yeah. And um, you know, there's there's a as Richard said, there's a lot in place for when you know when when things go wrong, and um, I, I utilise that to the maximum, really. And I when I left hospital, I carried on my rehab. I was at Oaks House five days a week. The injured jockeys fund were um, through early doors for my family were massively helpful and aided me so much in my recovery, um, sort of post hospital when, when I was at home um, to carry that process on. And you take it for granted when it's happening, but looking back on it now, I mean, it's just, I've had so much help from so many people. And, 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 and it, when it was really bad and I was in hospital, the amount of people that were offering things to my wife, you know, flat to stay in London and flats and bits and bobs like that. It's just beyond, they really come together when um, it's a fan of such. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. sounds like it. And like Richard, is that your experience of everyone who's in, in the kind of the horse racing sphere? And I guess how does that contrast with maybe people who, who aren't so lucky, I suppose? Well, as a contrast, isn't there? There's a, it is a fantastic community, but like the guy in the first team or the first eleven, if you're injured and not playing, if you're if you're injured and not riding, even just riding out in the morning or, or going racing, uh, you are on the one hand getting fantastic support um, and couldn't do without it, but on the other hand. I, I, I very often see a real sense of isolation, hmm. George. I don't know if that's something you felt, um, seeing the, the guys and girls you used to go and race with every day, and then you're just not doing that. It's just, it's strange because people are kind and they keep in touch, but um, the thing I really struggle with, and, and I don't know if this is a normal feeling, but this is how I felt. When I was riding, I, I felt like I was wanted, um, whether it be my relationship with my agent, I'd speak to him, you know, a lot through the day about plans we were going forward. Trainers would be picking your brains about things. And it, listen, people were very kind and kept in touch with me. And um, But that feeling of being wanted and, and feeling like you're useful um, to just to being a full-time patient trying to get better, it's a very strange um sort of pathway as such and when when I announced my retirement people were so I can't tell you you know they're so kind but um I, you just kind of feel like what are you going to do with yourself eventually I, you know you know you're going to have to get a job you you get what you're well insured and you get paid for you get paid for your pre- professional riders insurance um and you know I got a capital payout at the end of my thing um just uh, um, career ending insurance and such and um, but uh, it's to not be want to be someone that is, was I massively wanted in, in my opinion I was and I, I I felt I was doing what I loved doing for work and all of a sudden it was stopped it's you do feel quite isolated yeah. and yeah it's bad enough planning for your retirement uh, but to have an unplanned retirement is, is really difficult to cope with and which is why it's so important to be able to access all sorts of advice and including in particular vocational support to work out 
what you might do in the future. It is, it is an interesting sort of journey. It is a journey because I'm sure if you'd asked my wife after when I came home after sort of three months, of, well, four months of being in hospital, what's George going to do? She'd have said he'll never work again because it, it didn't look like an obvious thing that was going to happen. Right. And there's me sort of talking every day, banging on about coming back race riding. And she's thinking he's not going to be able to get a job stacking shelves, let alone um, <laughs> riding racehorses. Do you know what I mean? And nothing, nothing against people that stack shelves, but I didn't have the mental capacity to be able to do anything like that at the time. And it was an, I was a, you know, I was a, I was a patient for a long time to get, to get to this point and, and, and receiving all that care at a crucial time is so important, but the, 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 the journey after is the hard part for me, you know, everyone, they get you home, get you safe. And, um, you know, I had a young family and I, I was pretty well set up as a rider, but I wasn't, you know, I, I, I have to work again. It was not like a, I was a multimillionaire and couldn't do anything. I was, I, I, I had outgoings, I had a mortgage, you know, all these things. And, um, and we just had our first child, you know, you know, you sort of, I was, I, I was earning fantastic money when I was riding, but you live a lifestyle, don't you? And it's hard, you, you know, when you, when you, you can't maintain that when, when things sort of stop. So it's, it takes a bit of adjusting and, from, from my perspective, you know, my family's, you know, were aware of what, what needed to be done. But for me mentally, it was a, a, a massive change. You know, I was um, the provider and I was getting paid to do something I love doing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a change and it takes time to adjust with all those sorts of things. Yeah. I was reading a report yesterday on somebody who can't ride again because of their accident. And um, this was a psychiatric report. And, and very often it's not only the, uh, the medical uh, the, the report from the orthopedic consultant or what have you that's important, but also um, a report on the psychological effects of these things, um, which can sometimes be uh, much longer lasting and um, than the than the physical consequences in some ways. Yeah, and I was going to um, ask George about that because you mentioned that you're perhaps a bit more. Um, emotional after your injury and um you know there's all these extreme challenges on your mental health and that's you know hidden disability in of itself what do you what would you say to someone who maybe um they see you've you've progressed beyond your injury you're getting physically better but they can't see the other challenges that obviously you're experiencing um, and maybe aren't being patient with people who, you know, aren't quite getting beyond it or, um, yeah, just aren't aren't aware of the issues that maybe you're facing on, on the inside that people can't see. What do you want to say to them, I think? I think um, it's a, it's a oh, for maintenance perspective, you've got to, um, and this is anyone in, in life, not just just because of a fall hmm. um, that, that I'd had and, 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 and change a career as such. But um, I think it's important to um, not hold baggage mentally. And hmm. if you've got something that's not quite right, and I would never have done this when I was riding. I was, I was very much my, uh, the one person I confided in was my agent guy, Joel. And, and he was my, he was sort of my, um, 
psychologist and, yeah. and a counsellor and, 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 and if anything um, uh, I used to offload to him and I think it's important and, I, and I've got in my role as a jockey coach um, Tom who's um, based at Oaks House one day a week you know I often catch up with him and talk about um, people I'm looking after and helping them you know, um, look after themselves. And if anything, it's helping me as well. You know, it's, it's, it's much maintenance for me offloading that baggage if there's difficulties with different things. So I think from a mental health perspective, um, one thing I've learned through the whole process is just don't hold on to things. You've got to, you've got to let it out. Um, and I guess from the other person's perspective, allow someone to talk, even if they don't seem like they're struggling, I suppose. Yeah. And I think, um, do I look like I've got? I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I look like nowadays. Um, I've put on quite a lot of weight, so I'm definitely bigger. But um, I think it's 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 very mentally at times. You just got to, maintenance is important and and just look after yourself. And I'm I'm so lucky with the specific injury I had. I I've accepted my deficit so much, and I've seen a lot of friends in racing that have had brain injuries that can't get the head around that you know I know what I can and can't do I know that I'm um, still struggling with fatigue and I have to look after myself on, on that front and um, managing my time is you know it's, it's when I was riding I just I was a ball of energy and I um, you know it was hard work but I, I was I never it never entered my mind and if I had to I'll give an example Richard if I knew that this call was happening and when I was riding, it would have just been embedded in my mind. Not to, I wouldn't have forgotten about it. Now I just my iPhone is reminders all through the day. Um, yes, well, to your credit, you are asking me to make contact with you in the days in advance, and yeah, it was it was seemed very well organised. But I can see how that is uh, a, a way of adapting, a way of compensating, a coping mechanism kind of thing. Yeah. So it's all it's it's um, it's. I, I mean, it's been an incredibly hard journey for, for me, but more so for the people around me because it's been a massive change. You know, I'm I'm not the person I was before. I accept that, um, and uh, I'm just lucky that from that perspective, I've still got people looking out for me and help me out. Do you know what I mean? So you, I think it's an ongoing process. You you you'll never be fixed as such. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, we're getting towards uh, the half an hour mark. So I guess I will uh, just say thanks very much, Richard. And thanks very much, George, um, for telling us your story and sharing your experience. Um, it's very much appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah. So Liam, I think as you'll have heard there, he's a really kind of amazing bloke to speak mm. to. I mean, you wouldn't believe that he'd been, you know, or undergone such a, you know, catastrophic change in his life basically um, and he just speaks so candidly about his experience which is fantastic I think it's Action for Brain Injury Week um, which is uh, Headway's um, annual campaign to raise awareness of different aspects of brain injury and this year's their theme is um, hidden disability and the hidden aspects of brain injury that people need to understand so I think um you know, this conversation with, with George, where he's just been so open about the challenges he faced, is really important for people to hear. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope it was informative for you, Liam, and for our listeners. It was indeed. 
yeah so I guess all that's uh, left for me to say is um, well thanks for listening first of all um, if you you know haven't subscribed already make sure you do we're available on you know all your favourite podcast platforms um, and if you can give us a review uh, as it all helps with all the algorithms so yeah thanks for listening thanks for listening <laughs>